Is RC modeling threatened by FAA regs on commercial UAVs? I'm Paul Plack, and this is Aero News. Welcome into the Aero News special feature. Thanks for downloading us today. My guest today is Rich Hansen, who is the Government and Regulatory Affairs Representative for the Academy of Model Aeronautics. Aero News Network was notified and uh, provided with some talking points on issues that are of some concern as the FAA attempts to regulate small unmanned aerial systems. And uh, some of this new proposed regulation could significantly limit what has been a very workable system for the flying of radio-controlled models over the United States, especially in areas that have been far enough away from airports in the past but now might be pulled into the radius of concern. Rich, thanks for taking some time out for our listeners today. Absolutely. Good morning, Paul. Appreciate you having me on board. Let's start out with the problem of unmanned aerial systems being confused with RC models. This is something that kind of apparently has grown from law enforcement, real estate agents, various people who would use these things for government or commercial use, the same technologies basically that have been used for years by modelers, proliferating at a rate that the FAA felt it needed to step in. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly correct, Paul. It, it actually even goes back you know, more into what um, has happened in the defense industries and the success that unmanned aircraft have had in the war theaters and, and how these platforms have evolved and proven themselves as, as a working device. And if you go back a, a few years, you know, say in the early 2000s, um, these manufacturers and even some home cottage industry developers have looked at these platforms and sought ways of using them for commercial and public use within the civil environment. And when they first started, as a matter of fact, as exists today, there's actually no regulations within the Federal Aviation Regulations, the CFRs, that enable and allow unmanned aircraft to fly in the civil airspace, with the exception of model aircraft, which have been flying for well before the FAA. You know, AMA has been around for 75 years, and model aviation has been around since before manned flight. So we've operated as modelers under an advisory circular that was published in 1981, AC9157. And when some of these platform developers and entrepreneurs started looking at ways of operating, uh, they actually went to the FAA. And the FAA, at that point in time, in good faith, I believe, told them, well, you know, you're pretty much kind of like a model 9157, and that should be okay. And that, that's how a lot of them start operating. We're talking about some of them as simple as just taking a model airplane and strapping a camera on them and then going out and taking uh, photographs for, for real estate development. And there have been some other applications that have, have been uh, tried as well. But as these aircraft proliferated and more and more situations have occurred where the, the operation of the, these aircraft became questioned, the FAA started looking at whether really 9157 was intended for commercial and public use operations. And in 2007, I believe it was February of 2007, they actually published a clarification in the Federal Register that said, no, 9157 was really intended just for the recreational uh, activity. It's not intended for commercial and public use. And if you wanted to fly these aircraft for those purposes, as a public operator, you need to get a certificate of authorization, a COA, or as a commercial operator, you needed a special type certificate in the experimental category. 
So since 2007, that's really been the only way you could fly these platforms for commercial and public use. And to get a COA or a special type certificate is a little bit onerous. It's a, it's a very um, involved process. And the FAA has been holding pretty tight on a number of these certificates that have been issued. So there's been a lot of angst, if you, you will, within the commercial industry of, to get federal regulation on the books that would allow them to fly in the civil airspace. And that's what really brought us here today is FAA's attempt and, and efforts at creating regulation that would enable the use of commercial and public use air, unmanned aircraft in, the, in what they call the National Airspace System, the NAS. And fortunately or unfortunately, we've been rolled up into the definition of unmanned aircraft and have been kind of drawn into this regulatory process. And our effort, that being the Academy of Model Aeronautics, has been to assure that the modelers' right, uh, interests are preserved and that model aviation uh, continues to this, exist in a viable fashion. Okay, now let's talk about the difference between the needs of the commercial people and the needs of modelers. What are the differences? Well, it's really kind of apples and oranges in, in terms of needs or even in terms of where, how, and why they fly. I mean, obviously, modelers are doing this for recreational purposes, um, entirely for their own enjoyment of maneuvering the aircraft and watching them to fly. And typically, where we fly is not an area where there's a lot of application for commercial or public use operations. On the other hand, the commercial operator or even the public operator have a specific mission they're trying to accomplish, a purpose for flight, and the locations that they want to fly are typically areas where there's you know, human involvement, where there's activity, where there's a need for that application. So where they're, I can't speak for them, but as I envision it, where they're going to be flying is in a much more congested urban environment. Now, there's a lot of other applications in the real rural areas, such as pipeline control, uh, forestry op uh surveys, environmental surveys, so they won't just be in the urban areas, but typically the local model airplane flying site is not an area that's going to be of interest to them and, and a place for them to be operating. In a moment, how that distinction calls for different sets of rules. I'm Paul Plack, and you're listening to a special feature from Aero News. Piperjet. Pipermatch. Global expansion. Meridian, Mirage, Matrix, and more. With so much happening at Piper, how can I possibly keep up? Get informed. Get involved at Facebook.com slash Piper Aircraft. Diamond Aircraft's new DA-40 Diamond Star XL includes all popular diamond options, combined with a sensational new Garmin GFC 700 Autopilot, a higher-performance power plant, and increased gross weight. This makes the Diamond Star XL the perfect choice for affordable personal flying. The Diamond Star XL features equipment and enhancements that increase performance, capability, safety, convenience, and comfort. Visit Diamond on the web at www.diamondair.com or call 888-359-3000. Welcome back to the ANN Special Feature. I'm Paul Plack, talking with Rich Hansen of the Academy of Model Aeronautics about commercial small unmanned aerial vehicles, their differences from the RC models flown by hobbyists, and why one size set of rules won't fit all. Okay, let's... let's um, Let's get into how that makes the rules different, because 
One of the things that concern me a little bit is I know that the, the commercial guys and the law enforcement guys um, are required to observe a 400 foot above ground altitude limit. Um, and as a pilot of full-sized aircraft, that makes perfect sense to me. It's kind of consistent with what the FAA does because um, obviously over a uh, sparsely populated area, uh, manned aircraft may be flying as low as 500 feet above ground. So um, if you start bringing that into an airport environment or, or say the sheriff's department gets one of these things to, uh, to use in, at crime scenes, a lot of those could be very close to airports and nobody's going to check before they pull it out of the trunk of the car and send it up. Um, what happens, though, away from populated areas where you guys have traditionally been allowed to fly above 400 feet? How does the see and avoid thing work there? Well, for model aircraft, I mean, the see and avoid is, is primarily the, the responsibility of the model airplane pilot, the guy that's holding the transmitter. And a big difference in the, the operations is that we fly strictly visual line of sight and we fly non-autonomous aircraft. So in order to fly our aircraft, typically the pilot's holding the transmitter, looking at the aircraft, has to keep the aircraft close enough to him to be able to see the aircraft understand its orientation and to maneuver the aircraft uh, to keep it under control. So that pretty much is self-limiting in terms of how far away from the pilot the aircraft can fly. And although we do have some activities that go at higher altitudes, especially our, our, our thermal soaring enthusiasts, um, will soar higher than, than, say, 400 feet above the ground, typically uh, – the majority of our operations are in close proximity to the ground. I won't say that we always stay below 400 feet because, quite honestly, it's hard to even tell if you're at 400 feet. But any altitudes above that are, are quick transitions where an aircraft may be doing a, uh, a barnstormer loop or something like that or a, uh, a stall turn, turn or transient to a little higher altitude momentarily and then come back down. Um, as I understand it, the commercial and public use operators, and again, we're talking about what kind of the differences in platforms and the differences of missions, but typically they're going to be flying more autonomous aircraft that are um, directed to a location or to a um, grid pattern where it's going to be flying a, a predetermined um, set of maneuvers, or maybe it's a set of maneuvers that are programmed into it on an ongoing basis as the mission evolves. But um, it's just an entirely different way of flying the aircraft. Now, at its simplest point, let's just say we're talking about people that are using these platforms for aerial photography. That may be very similar to what we do. They may not need the uh, the autonomous nature of it. And they may just go up, fly the aircraft using a handheld transmitter, and take photographs over a piece of property. That's probably the ones that are um, typically more similar to model aircraft operations, but we wouldn't be flying over that same piece of property and certainly wouldn't be flying for that purpose. And, and maybe to put it in more simple terms, um, modelers look for a safe place to fly and then fly their model aircraft. I anticipate the commercial and public operators are going to have a place where they need to fly and are going to have to find a safe way to do that. All right. There's a few elements of the early... Uh, suggestions coming out of that ARC that look for all the world like a solution looking for a problem. Uh, there are, were uh, hints that there would be a speed limit imposed, an arbitrary speed limit on models. 
um, and a, a blanket ban on gas turbine engines, which is some of the most exciting model flying I've seen lately. Uh, let's talk about the scope of what's needed to be addressed by the FAA. You guys have a, a pretty remarkable safety record. Why would we need any more restrictions that, that seem this arbitrary? Well, certainly from our point of view, we, we would argue that um, we have operated safely since well before federal regulations came into play. And over the years, we've operated seamlessly and transparently in the, in the national environment. So an AMA as the national body has a developed a set of safety rules, what we call our National Safety Code, which has guided the modelers in that activity for many, many years. And the studies that we've done, although they haven't been scientific studies, the studies that are related to our insurance claims data and incident reporting has indicated that our safety record um, could arguably surpass the manned aviation safety record. So from our point of view, we, we honestly don't see a lot of new guidance or criteria that's necessary to keep the modeling activities safe. Uh, we would basically say pattern, if we had to codify these guidance, you know, basically pattern after our National Aviation Safety Program and some of our other um, specific guidance program, like we have a program designed specifically for the turbine operators. We have a uh, program designed specifically for those that like to model larger aircraft, but use those as the template for creating any uh, guidance. But the federal process doesn't necessarily move in those directions, so that's, that's where we're at different sides of the table right now. Tomorrow, in the conclusion of this conversation, there's evidence the FAA is actually listening on this one. Rich Hansen is the Government and Regulatory Affairs Representative for the Academy of Model Aeronautics. Find out more on the web at modelairplane.org. You've been listening to a special feature from Aero News. Find us on the web at aero-news.net. I'm Paul Platt. Thanks for listening. Have a clear and unlimited day.